This is Big Dreams, Bold Moves, the podcast inspiring families like yours to discover endless possibilities for living abroad, because life is too short to settle. I'm Malia, and I will be your host as we travel around the world speaking with experienced expats and experts. We're going to learn how to get visas, make money, and find jobs abroad. We'll get a behind-the-scenes look at what everyday life with kids is really like in different countries and get you the answers you need to go from daydreaming to international move-making. Now, let's get on our way. Well, hello and welcome. Today we are going to be speaking with Jacqueline Genota. She is going to tell us about her family's experience going from the U.S., to Genoa, Italy for one year to immerse themselves in Italian culture and language and la dolce vita. Uh, It was an experience so powerful for her family that she has since written a book to be a guide for other families wanting to plan their own life-changing adventures. The name of her book is Let's Leave the Country, A Guide to Your Family Year Abroad. Jacqueline is going to be hosting a giveaway over on her Instagram, and one lucky listener of the Big Dreams Bold Moves podcast is going to win a free copy of her book. Go to the show notes and don't delay. Go now before you forget and see how you can enter that giveaway for, again, a free copy of Let's Leave the Country, A Guide to Your Family Year Abroad. And don't worry, I'm going to have a link in the show notes for you to purchase a copy of the book if you're hearing that title and you're thinking, I have to have that book. So in today's episode, we're going to talk about Jacqueline's family's adventure. And next week, Jacqueline is going to be coming back and speaking some more about her book, as well as sharing with you her three crucial steps to planning a family year abroad. This will hopefully get you going planning your own family year abroad. So stay tuned for next week's episode to hear more from Jacqueline. And in the meantime, let's get on our way. Well, welcome, Jacqueline, to Big Dreams, Bold Moves. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. So you are going to tell us today about your family's adventure. We went to Genoa, Italy for a year. Okay. um, Yes, I have two daughters. They are 16 and... 13 now, but when we went, they were younger. They were um, in the second and the fifth grade. And yes, it was quite an adventure. And how did the adventure come about? Where was this, where and when was the seed planted? Well, I I think there are two answers to that question. Uh, The seed was planted in me when I was a little girl. I have Italian heritage background. My grandfather was born in Italy. So I always knew that Italy was part of my roots and that it was a special place and I needed to know more about it. Um, And then when I met my husband, we traveled there and fell in love with the culture as an adult and the seed was planted of, oh, could we actually live here for a while? And we actually explored the possibility of working there. We had a potential job offer when we were newly married, uh, but it wasn't the right fit. And then when we had kids, it came around and we knew our window was going to be finite to, to do this as a family. And we wanted to give the kids a language and their, you know, sense of their cultural background. And really it came about um, 
in the philosophical sense that I didn't want to look back at this whole idea as a shoulda, woulda, coulda. So that was the driving force of how it came about because that easily could have happened um, if I weren't persistent and if my husband wasn't supportive. That family heritage part kind of gives me goosebumps. That's extra special. Yeah, I'm big into genealogy and it drove me to learn the Italian language and it added a whole layer to our year there, which was really cool. And um, was is your family from the Genoa region, or how did you settle in on Genoa? Um, ironically, yes, I do have a great-grandmother from the Genoa area, but that is not why we ended up in Genoa. We, my, my family is mostly from southern Italy, uh, but uh, it was kind of a fluke, random thing that we ended up in Genoa. I had done a reconnaissance trip the year before because we were looking for Montessori schools, um, my kids are Montessori kids, and we thought, well, if we're going to do this big thing of pulling them out of their routine and coming back to the routine, at least we would find school system that they were used to. And um, believe it or not, there are not a lot of Montessori elementary schools in Italy. Even though Maria Montessori, yes, Maria Montessori was from there, but uh, Mussolini and all this uh, fascist stuff didn't want anything to do with uh, an educational system that would teach kids how to think on their own. (laughs) So she left for Netherlands and India and took her stuff elsewhere. But some of her philosophy remained and it's in the, you know, the fertile soil of the education there. And there are a handful of elementary schools and Genoa happened to have one. So I added that to my reconnaissance trip at the last minute and um, that's how Genoa came about. And then uh, the bonus was I do have a great grandmother that I never met that I knew very little about that was from that area. So it made it kind of special. I got to know that part of my roots um, more. And now I feel a stronger connection with that aspect of it, it, Italy. And as you know, or maybe you don't know, and maybe your listeners don't know, Italy is not a monoculture Every little region is like its own country, everything down to the language and the food. So being Genovese is very different from being, you know, from Venice or Tuscany or what have you. And what other boxes did Genoa tick for you aside from the Montessori school? Oh, yeah. Well, I think we were looking for a city. We didn't want to be in a small town in the middle of nowhere. We wanted to have a a city that wasn't overwhelming like Milan or Rome. And we wanted it to have enough. We wanted it to be a walking city. We wanted it to have a train station and we wanted it to be near an airport. So it had all that and more. And it's really a jewel box of a city Uh, for anyone who's been there. There's nooks and crannies everywhere and surprises everywhere. So it's every time you turn, you discover something new and it is sandwiched in between the mountains and the sea. So there's so much variety. And um, that was bonus. But it did check off the main boxes for size and easy transport. Because our year abroad, we didn't want it to be just totally stuck there. We wanted to use it as a springboard for travel. Right. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely a great location. Um 
And then, so when you presented this idea to your kids, what did they think about Montessori school in Italy? Uh, they, I think, were relieved that, oh, mommy's going to find us a Montessori school, so it'll be easy. That is not what ended up happening as far as the school, Montessori in name only, very different from what they were used to. However, they were, um, my older daughter was, uh, you know, kind of goes with the flow and she was perfectly down with it. And my younger daughter was extremely anxious about it. And so we had to do a lot of, don't worry, you know, we're going to have lots of gelato and you're going to, it's going to be fun. You're going to make friends. A lot of reassuring had to happen, but they went along for the ride. You know, they were young enough that we could still mold them in that regard. And was the school bilingual or were they going to have to learn in all Italian? Not at all. It was all Italian. Um, And every school in Italy does teach English, which for them was kind of a a joke. You know, the teacher would do a heads, shoulders, knees and toes song and she would say knees instead of knees, you know, that kind of thing. So it was kind of funny. Um, And they had a very basic, uh, fundamental Italian language. They knew basic words and that was it. But really... Um, for all the apprehension of going into a school where they were not native speakers, within a few months, they were speaking Italian better than I spoke. And I have been studying it for over 20 years. And that was hard for mom to take. Um, I was even my older daughter now, Chiara, she's, she has a beautiful accent that I just can only I'm very envious of. (laughs) Oh, wow. Me too. Um, If we go back a little bit, so your kids were young and moldable. What did your friends and family think when you told them about this plan? Um, Well, I think perhaps they were quietly skeptical. Um, And that could just be my own projection of being skeptical that we would actually pull this off. Uh, But they were verbally supportive. Um, my husband works independently, so we didn't extract ourselves from a regular corporate gig. Um, that life that we had left behind a few years previous, and so he, um, I think people thought, oh, wow, well, they must have figured out a way to work overseas or whatever. I, I don't know exactly what they thought. My mother-in-law did not really want us to go so far away. Um, and a lot of other friends used it as a, a mental excuse of, oh, good, we'll get to go visit you. So that was the general um, the reaction that people had. And then every once in a while, we'd encounter some extreme naysayers. It, people have funny reactions when you say you're going to just kind of upend your life and move overseas. And I remember meeting a guy at a party who was like, you can't do that. You, ch- you can't just change everything and pull your kids out of school. And fortunately, we were well along in our planning where we could just kind of laugh that off. But those people are out there. <laughs> yeah. And um, so what, what exactly was the plan then for income or financially sustaining yourself while you were there? Well, because as I mentioned, my husband... Um, he's a corporate coach and facilitator. So he has corporate clients mostly on the West coast of the U S and 
we, and I loosely work with his company, and we basically had to pull back our client base and he figured out a way to only do coaching for the year and to really minimize his coaching. Uh, we prepared by stocking savings away every year for the you know previous few years so we had some kind of cushion and then he um he he kept clients and he did kind of what you're doing in that late at night he'd get on the phone and coach people on the on the west coast in the morning and um we we did that but then they knew that he was off limits when we were traveling and certain times. So it was kind of part-time work, but it kept the income flowing. Okay. And we also rented out our house, which covered a lot of our expenses uh, overseas in terms of housing, because housing was cheaper there than it is here. Yeah. I was thinking, um, I would imagine that that's a less expensive part of Europe to live in. Mm -hmm. Do you remember how much the housing was? Uh, I remembered that it was significantly less. I don't, I want to say 1200 to 1500 euro a month. Okay. We were renting our house out for maybe twice that, you know, I, I live in Portland, Oregon, and it, it was a, it's a desirable growing city. A lot of people moving here. And how did you find housing? Did you find it <laughs> from Portland, Oregon, or did you wait until you arrived? Oh, our housing story is a story. Um, so we, I, I searched Airbnb for a long time and managed to find an apartment um, where uh, that I knew was near the target school we were going to be at. And it's kind of funny. You have to do a lot of these because we weren't 100% sure we'd get our visa. We weren't 100% sure we'd get into the school. So we, um, and it's a public school, but I was negotiating with the principal and all that. So we, um, so I was just targeting, trying to find housing on a Google map that matched up with Airbnb and then contacting Airbnb. And I found something and my brother was working in, with the Navy in Naples, and I had him fly up to Genoa to check it out and make sure it was cool. So we got our first apartment there. But in the meanwhile, I had met a woman who had an apartment in Genoa, literally down the street from the school that the girls got into. And during our reconnaissance trip, she offered to walk me into the school and then I got to know her. That was the first time I really met her. And um, she said, you know, I'm not going to be in my apartment for the middle six months that you're going to be in Italy. Why don't you take over my place? And that it was an offer we couldn't refuse because it was probably the best address in Genoa. It had this amazing view of the ocean and we could walk to the school. So what we did for our year in Genoa is we had this little apartment for the first three months. We moved into Alessandra's apartment for the middle six months. And then when we were there, we had to find a third apartment. And I would not recommend this for anyone who wants to do a year abroad. It adds a lot of stress, but it's kind of had the stars aligned for us. So I had an experience of finding housing there, finding housing, uh, you know, via the computer from Portland and it's a, a taste of it all. Yeah. 
answer you. <laughs> <laughs> Patchwork quilt of housing yes. in Genoa. Exactly. How much did you pack? Um, too much. Uh, we shipped boxes ahead of time to my brother. Again, if you have any military connections, uh, wherever you go, that's a nice perk where you can uh, ship at domestic cost overseas. Otherwise, it would have been cost prohibitive. Uh, and we probably packed a couple suitcases each and shipped ahead some stuff, but not a ton. And I, if I were to do it again, I would limit us to one giant suitcase each and basta. That's it, you know, but it's hard to do. Well, and the shopping there's good too. Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, we, it's, when you plan a year abroad, it's, hard to break from the vacation mentality of, oh, you know, we're going to need everything. And you don't realize, no, we can buy stuff there if we run out of stuff. Uh, and that that hadn't fully sunk in. Um, we did do stuff like we figured we'd borrow ski equipment uh, or whatever, that kind of thing. So we didn't pack everything. And the one thing that we should have packed more of were medicines and supplements because not easy to get if you have specific needs and we did have specific needs so that was uh that was you know one whole box that we sent to my brother so i would imagine that there aren't a ton of american or english-speaking expats in genoa um how was it immersing yourself in, in the community and connecting with the community or did you find expats that you spent time with? Um, we didn't want to immerse with the expat community. And that was one of the reasons we did choose Genoa and not a place like Florence, for example, um, because we knew it was, you know, English was going to be spoken far less frequently and it, it's kind of off the beaten path. How open um, were the locals to you ah, joining into the community. Yes. yes. So there, there was a mix. I think there are, there were a lot of people that weed themselves out of your sphere because they don't want to deal with the language learner. And, you know, it's cause it's clunky when you don't know the language to have a conversation with somebody and you you find ways it's super challenging and fun with the people that want to connect with you. So I think those people, the curious people, find each other. And that was how we connected. The, the, the minority of the people that were like, oh, wow, these Americans, that's who we were drawn to. And some of it was self-serving for them. They wanted their kids to learn English. And they, you know, they wanted our kids to speak only English to their kids, for example. Um, but that, that was our connection. And through the school too was our biggest way, again, back to the English. It was a boon for them to have this American family there for a year. And they, you know, will you help teach our English class? So my husband and I volunteered every month in our daughter's classes. And it was a chore to come up with fun lessons, but it was also fun. And looking back and we, whenever we go back to Genoa to visit, people still remember us because we were the English teachers, you know, so you, you find the ways. How um, did your husband's Italian come along? <laughs> it, 
he spoke a very caveman Italian. He, you know, we bought this Rosetta Stone thing before traveling. And I think maybe he used it half a dozen times. So it was, I, I don't want to call it a colossal waste of money, but it was, we, we could have gotten much more out of it, put it that way. Um, and he managed to get by. He's a very communicative person, even though his Italian didn't really get much better, but he has a good ear for it. So he, and, and we did take lessons once we arrived, um, but he made some funny mistakes and uh, that are in the book actually. And, and um, I'd say, you know, when you want to communicate, you find a way whether it's with your hands that I do all the time, or whether it's finding that one incisive word that people will rally around and you kind of figure out what you're talking about. And then it's over time really learning the language and, um, you know, turning on the TV or whatever it is that helps your mind adjust. Did you do anything to prepare your girls for Italian when they got there? When we got there, well, so there is a local Italian school in our town in Portland, and they had taken lessons from being little, but, you know, an hour every couple of weeks doesn't get you very far. And they did some Rosetta Stone, so they knew very basic rudimentary language. Um, and then we signed up at a local language school when we were there. And I would say that is another great resource for anyone moving to a country where English is not the language, uh, because once you hone in on a home in on a language school where you want to live, those people will have housing connections and and help you find ambassadors that way. And just that's an aside I'm throwing in here, but um, yes, yeah, so we took language lessons in Genoa when we when we were there, but really their language flourished just from being in school every day. It's amazing. So a year in Italy, did you need a special visa? We did. And when I was searching for visas, there is a wide variety available, religious visa, student visa, family visa, and you kind of drill down to which one fits you the best. So we uh, found a resident visa, which meant we had to basically prove we weren't going to be wards of the state. And we had to, you know, show that, look, we have enough money in our bank account that we're not going to end up on the street. You aren't going to have to feed us or do anything like that. And that was how we got that visa, which is normally um, for retired people. Uh, but we weren't retired, but we couldn't work. So it was kind of tricky um, because you have to say you're not going to work there, but they don't really define work. So we knew we weren't taking any jobs from Italian citizens. So, and all the work was, you know, we're, we're physically in Italy, but all the money being earned was in California and the West Coast. So it was this tricky gray area that we just kind of worked our way around. Okay. We did an episode about um, Spain, and it sounds like a similar situation. Mm-hmm. Um, did you use like a an attorney or a service, or do you remember any particular resources that helped you sort all that out? We did not use an attorney. You For Italy, when you go for a visa, you have to go through whatever the Italian consulate is that your geographic address is tied to. So for us, that was San Francisco. 
and there was a, a local attorney in he was Italian and he's in Portland, but he represents the consulate. So we prepared all our paperwork and presented it to him. So we didn't have to travel to San Francisco. Um, and then I did, uh, there, there were definitely times where I was like, I'm not sure what this means and it's impossible to get through to the consulate. So I had a friend who is Italian who knew the consulate ropes call for us to find answers out. And so, you know, I didn't pay her as an, as a consultant, but in a way she was for anyone doing this, I just say, make your contacts and find those people that can help you because they're, they're crucial in many ways. Shameless networking. Yes. That's my thing. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) So, you arrive, the kids start school, your husband's got a bit of a coaching gig in the evenings. How else do you spend your days and how? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yep, yeah. Go on. I laugh because we, what we thought we were going to spend our days doing, you know, just soaking up this amazing Italian life ended up being very different than the reality that we endured. And looking back, it was lovely and I'm nostalgic for those times, but our kids went to school only until about 1230. So we had just the morning hours to ourselves, getting them off the door, doing all that. And um, in Italy, in this part of Italy anyway, things shut down for a big portion of the day. So if we wanted to go out and about or shop or do anything or get food or all that, we had a very narrow window in the morning when the kids were at school. So we shopped for food. We cooked because we had to make them lunch and because they came home for lunch and that was that. And we, um, people don't have dryers or anything like that. So we did laundry and we hung our laundry out we there were no dishwashers so we hand washed all our dishes so we basically kept house during the morning that was our free time and then when the kids came home we helped them with homework and then when the stores when things opened up again uh, at four o'clock that's when we could go out and have our window of time before dinner Um, so it, it the day ended up getting chopped up in a much different way than we were used to in our own culture that definitely sounds more like an immersion and less like a vacation. Uh, yeah, because yeah, I would definitely dream of sitting in piazzas all yeah, day, and just sipping totally. cappuccinos and strolling through markets. Totally. And we did have those days, but that was not the default. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, it, it's and little things, you know, when you immerse in a culture like going to the pharmacy to get whatever it is you need it takes it's not a 10 minute errand it's longer figure out where the pharmacy is navigate the language figure out how to do it like you don't just go up and buy you have to stand in line and talk to the pharmacist and and, and everyone's behind you in line hearing everything you're saying and they, like everything is just different different process than you than one is used to and then there is, in, in Italy in particular, there's the whole level of bu- bureaucracy. So our first few months were spent 
we had the visa, but we had to get the what's called a permesso di soggiorno, which you go to the local police station with all your paperwork and say, hey, I'm here. And um, then they they give you uh, this legal means of staying there for the year. And that was a three-month process, showing up and having to go through their requirements. So that also took a big portion of the day early on of, you know, keeping appointments, trying to figure out how to do all that. It's kind of fun looking back, you know, it's like a game. (laughs) Yeah. So what did you love about your year abroad? Um, well, immersing in a culture I, that I really wanted to know, um, I have to say I loved everything about it, even the hard stuff, because it got me that much further into building a relationship with this culture that I wanted to build a relationship with. And being able to just um, have everything be a lesson in Italian for me, my brain was constantly sweating. Like I said, I knew the language, but I land there and I'm like, wow, I don't really know the language. I thought I knew the language, but I really didn't. So that was fun, just having to to use a different tongue all the time um, and walking everywhere. Oh my God, do I miss that? Um, uh, Just going out your door and discovering something new every day. uh, I really miss that. And the food. And I mean, I could go on and on and on. And every month we managed to travel somewhere and that was um, really eye-opening and life-changing for both uh, my husband and myself and my girls, who are, who are now very global in their mindset, which I, have, I really appreciate. Okay, I've got goosebumps again. <laughs> That's huge. Yeah, it's been amazing to watch them because we did this five years ago. And for a variety of reasons, um, you know, it's taken me this long to talk about it publicly, uh, you know, because of the book that I wrote. But um, I've watched my daughters develop into um, just the way that they have empathy and connection to people from other cultures, even that have nothing to do with Italy. And their embrace of learning foreign languages, uh, not just Italian, um, and their confidence and how they carry themselves. Like they built up so much resilience going through being the odd ones out at school. Did you want to discuss the challenges any further? A lot of the challenges were just around all the rewards, like building up... uh, for instance, the housing thing, um, so much stress and anxiety. Oh my God, is this the right place? Do I know, how do I do this? For, you know, like I'm, we're not in there. Um, uh, you know, we have, how, could, how do we get a place sight unseen, for example? And then going there um, and meeting my friend Alessandra, that's a whole other story. I, I, and I, I mean, maybe I'll make a sidetrack here if it makes sense. But when we really committed to doing this trip, it was um, it was scary. It was going out on a limb because we didn't know people in Italy. We didn't have, I mean, I have distant cousins in an area of Italy that we weren't living in, but no, there was nobody there who could say, oh, Jacqueline, here, here's this gift we're going to give you, set you up. So it was going on instinct. Um, 
but I had to put it out there all the time. Hey, we want to do this trip. And, you know, if anyone knows anyone, that sort of thing, that networking thing that you pointed to. So I was at a party um, a year before, over a year before we planned to leave. And it was really kind of fluky that I met a woman there from Genoa who um, is the one I mentioned who um, let us live in her apartment and who walked me through the school. And it was even more fluky that she was going to be there because um, she doesn't live there full time when I was there for my three days on my reconnaissance trip. And I was there for three days and she was sick, but the, there was a window of time where she was well enough to say, hey, let me walk you to the school. And I wonder if without that, would I have been able to manage it all? Because my Italian was not as fluid as hers, obviously. She was a local. Uh, she was kind of very assertive where I wouldn't have been because I'm a foreigner. And she got me in to meet the teachers that uh, coincidentally turned out that my daughters would have, that one of my daughters would have. And that allowed me to make a connection with the teacher. Her name is Gabriella. And she um, allowed us to start corresponding. So the year leading up, she sent us letters from her students to my daughter saying, oh, here's the American who's going to be in our class next year. So then my daughter was able to send letters back. So it really facilitated a bridge ahead of time. Um, so back to your question about the challenges, it was a challenge to find the school and to figure out how I was going to get in, but led to the reward of building these amazing relationships. Yeah, I always feel like when all those kind of synchronicities happen to it, definitely feels like you're on the right path. Totally. They're just little signs like you're headed the right direction. I did another episode about Argentina and the the couple that moved to Cordoba, Argentina had a almost the exact same story about like net, like being at a party and meeting someone that also had an apartment in Cordoba and just Yeah. I mean that's random the coincidences. Totally. I mean, and that's the, we had no idea where we were going to live. And we kind of thought it would be Perugia. But when I went to Perugia to visit the school, it was the teacher had me wait for three hours. And it was, it was, it was just like kind of a nightmare of a visit. And then when we got to Genoa, everything fell in place. And it was like the universe saying, no, thou shall move here. <laughs> and it was perfect. And right when that was happening, how did, how did you feel? Could you feel like this is in your gut that this was the right thing? Um, I, it was more like, a, oh my God, I think this is going to be where we end up. I, this is wild. And there were other coincidences at schools, but yes, I got the tingling feeling in Genoa and it continued to happen even when we got there, you know, getting lost and then magically running into somebody who recognized us, who then later became a friend who, you know, got us unlost when we were looking for a bus stop, you know, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I, I do think there is kind of a magic that happens when you're determined to do something and the force guides you. <laughs> Definitely. So this was five years ago and your children have become global citizens from the experience. And uh, it was so powerful for your family that you even have written a book about it to help other families. So 
what is next for your family? Do you think? Um, well, we've been back to Genoa a few times. Okay. We've had friends visit us here. So I feel like we've kind of stitched this relationship with Genoa. Um, and I'm actually trying to get my dual citizenship. I don't know if it will happen. And if it does, that's like kind of the universe saying, Hey, maybe we'll end up there. Um, and my daughters are older now and, you know, figuring out the college thing and all that. I don't know what will be next. My husband and I talk about, well, once the kids are out of the house, we're going to do housing exchanges and get to know other parts of the world. And, and back to the global citizen thing, my brother, the same one who worked for the Navy in Naples, just got um, stationed in Japan. And so my younger daughter has taken it upon herself to study Japanese. And she's like, I'm going to go live with Uncle David for the summer because I want to learn Japanese and I want to play with my cousins. He has two toddler cousins. And we're like, okay. So I think we might be escorting her to Japan, total opposite of Italy. Um, but it's like, it gives me, it, it's thrilling to me to, you know, again, build a relationship with another aspect of, you know, culture on the planet. That is so awesome. Yeah. yeah. I was going to ask how your daughter's life plans have changed, do you think, from this experience? And it's if they're already thinking about that kind of stuff, it's clear that they're thinking bigger. Okay, guys, that's it for today. Again, Jacqueline will be back in our next episode to talk more about her book and her three crucial steps for planning a family year abroad. Now, don't forget, she's got a giveaway going on over on her Instagram for a free copy of her book that she's written. Um, I've got the link to it in the show notes. I've also got a link in the show notes to our Facebook community where I'd love you to come hang out. And if you love today's podcast, please remember to rate and review it, which will help us get additional listeners. And the more we grow, the better I'll get here and the more I'll be able to invest in the show. And thank you for hanging out with me today. Until next time, keep dreaming those big dreams and scheming bold moves.